Hello Coconuts! Today in TFC Stock Geekout, we are doing something different. If you have been listening to market updates, and I don't know why you haven't, we have been banging the drum about getting more defensive in this macro climate, and today we are going to dive deep into one way we can do that, by exploring dividend investing and REITs. We'll explore why we might want to do it, why the Singapore exchange is suited for it, and what we should and shouldn't look out for when picking REITs. Helping us through this process today is Willie. He is a CFA, worked as an investment advisor, and now runs DividendTitan.com. The aim is to build strong, sustainable portfolio and obtain passive income streams to sustain us through retirement. So there's less stressing about the portfolio and more enjoyment of life. For reference, this episode was recorded on 23rd February 2022. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes only. It doesn't serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Let's geek out! Hi Coconuts, welcome to another episode of the Stock Geek Out. This week, we have something new and, and interesting we're going to try today. We are just going to look fundamentals, right? So we are going to look at how we do income investing and how we actually can get dividends and, and a recurring stream of income, whether it's for you know, funding our expenses, whether it's for retirement. You know, income investing is something that you know, we find relatively interesting to talk about, especially being in Singapore with a lot of REITs, a lot of you know, very stable companies and not so much tech growth. Right, so with us and, and to help us with this process, we have Willie from Hello. Dividend Titan. Hello, Anthony. Hi, good, good to have you on board. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about yourself and, and yeah. what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I run Dividend Titan. It's a financial publication for investors who wants to grow their wealth safely. So I have run this um, publication over the last two years. I started in 2020 and I've produced, you know, you can go onto my website, dividendtitan.com and you can see all my articles, uh, guides and resources to really help you get started for your investing journey. Yeah, I, I like the name, right? Titan, uh, that's like a titan of industry. Very strong, <laughs> very strong. <right? laughs> but yeah, um, it, very, very interesting, right? Because, you know, recently the, a lot of the focus, a lot of the trends have been around growth. Um, traditionally, there's always been like, you know, value investing, uh, with, with Warren Buffett and all that. So wait, how did you start you know, looking more at dividends or, or why should people look more at dividends? Yeah, um, so I really like dividends for one thing because I enjoy looking at how the dividends start to come in. And you know, mm -hmm. it's very fulfilling to see that every month or every quarter your bank account um, have you know, that amount coming in. I mean, it used to be checkbook, you know, you receive a check from the companies, oh, yeah. but these days it's all I done always I always forgot how to. I always <laughs> forgot to deposit those checks. I was like, yeah. get it, and then I'll just take care of the office desk, and I'll forget about it. I do like two months later, like, oh shit, I need to invest in banking. Yeah. yeah, but but I'm so happy it's electronic now. Yeah. So the interesting thing about dividends is this, right? Like it really got me back into reading up about this company. Right. Um, mm -hmm. In 1602, there's one of the largest, if not the largest, shipping company called the Dutch East India Company. Um, and they were formed back then to make trades in Asia. So they were created also solely to actually compete with the English East India Company. So it was very interesting, right? Because this company, the Dutch East India Company, existed for 200 years. And as the biggest shipping company, you can imagine they were sending out ships after ships into Asia to make trades, right? So they were trading spices, mm -hmm. you have commodities, so and so forth, right? And it was very interesting because every time when the ships port back to Europe, so when you see when they lined up at a port, you know, they were carrying all these um, goods, the spices, the commodities, and you know that all these are all cash payments, right? And essentially as the ships come in, you get more cash. So if you think about it, right, as a dividend investor, it's the same, right? You are just looking out from the seaport and you can see the ships coming in mm -hmm. and just paying you dividends. So the Dutch East yep. India Company, um, for the 200 years which they were running, they were paying dividends of 18% every year. So Ooh. it was huge, right? Yeah. And like companies today, as businesses today, you know, you want to think about businesses like the Dutch East India Company, they are running their own business, their own operations. And you can see successful companies where they were growing their revenue, their earnings, their cash flow, part of which you know, we paid to you as dividends. And I really like that, the steady stream of income. So it doesn't matter whether there's a crisis or not, um, as long as the business is still running, the business is still in mm -hmm. operation, 
you will get your dividends, right? You will get your cash. And that was what really, really excited me about dividend investing. Yeah, I think that there's a bit of a psychological component to it as well, right? Instead of just looking at like share price go up, share price go down, you actually see tangible, well, it's, it's money in bank accounts, so not really tangible, but you see money coming in and, and, and all that, which is nice, right? It's like, oh, you know, hooray, I have another 500 bucks to spend this month. It's meant in an efficient market, it's meant to be that that 500 bucks is reflected in the share price anyway, but, but it's just mm-hmm. a different feeling you get, I think, that helps with the psychology and, and helps you stick to the course. And I mean, it's also nice if, you know, you're, you're re- approaching retirement and you want cash flow coming in, you, you don't want to sell your shares, right? You, mm. Because that takes work, that incurs transaction costs, you don't want to sell for 500 bucks to, to you know, fund your spending. It, it goes straight into your bank account. It's like a salary, just you know, a bit less regular and, and a bit tied more to the performance of a business. Yeah, but, but I think that, that's great, right? Um, I have quite a big read portfolio myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with this. You know, I'm not a growth at all costs kind of guy. But just uh, again, to, to provide for, you know, in, the, in a more modern context, yes, the, the businesses run and all that. What about you know, Singapore, right? Is mm-hmm. there any particular advantage of, of doing this sort of investing in Singapore compared to, let's say, US? Or, yeah, pretty mm. much US because we don't really look at anywhere else except maybe China and Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think about it, and Anthony, in Singapore, income investing is the perfect place to start. Um, the Singapore stock market is great um, for two big things, right? Number one, your Singapore yes. banks. And the second one, like what you rightly pointed out, is your REITs, Singapore REITs. It's huge, right? And really because Singapore, as an island city, you know, we have land scarcity. There's not enough land and property prices keeps going up. But you also have a population with growing income. Mm-hmm. The middle income salary is growing higher and higher every year. And that's what's leading to a better economy and your rental rates, your property prices, the property value keeps increasing. And that's really, the this is the perfect hunting ground for Singapore REITs for income investing. Yep. And that's really what I like about the Singapore market. Okay. Uh, you can actually focus on these two, two sectors and you still can make um, money from it, from dividends. Yeah, I mean, banks are well, a different breed, right? <laughs> you, you, you own like, the three big banks in Singapore. You, you pretty much own, what? 30, 40% of the market of the index, it's insane. Um, mm-hmm. and, and of course, you know, we don't actually have that many property developers anymore. Our, our property stocks have all gone into REITs because it's, it's nicer cash flow for companies. And, and well, we will talk about a, a bit of the inherent, maybe, you know, conflict of interest in between um, slightly later on when, when we talk about REITs. But, you know, so we, we have a lot of dividend shares. You know, DBS is one. Singtel used to be another. Singtel Starhub were like darlings two, three years back for, for dividend stocks. What, what's mm-hmm. the difference between these type of dividend stocks and REITs? Okay, so REITs is a great way to get started mm-hmm. as a beginner. So if you if you want to get started in dividend investing or in investing in general and you like the idea of income, REITs is a great way to start you know, for beginners. And the reason why is this, right? You walk into the shopping mall, you shop your groceries, you buy your drinks, you buy your clothes, so and so forth. The shopping mall is owned by a REIT, mm-hmm. right? You have a job, you go into the office every day. The office building is owned by a REIT. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you go to a hospital, right, for your medical checkup, right? That hospital most probably is owned by a REIT. So it's easy for people like you and myself to actually judge the properties in Singapore. Mm. You know, physically, you can see whether they're doing well or not, right? Mm. It's easy to observe, right? And like the old saying, invest in what you know. For properties, you know, you want to actually go down and see for yourself whether these properties are doing well uh, just based on the tenants, the traffic, so and so forth. And it's easy to actually do that mm-hmm. versus other businesses. So that's why REITs are a great way to get started. And for REITs, it's lower risk because REITs fundamentally funds that invest in this basket of different properties. So you don't just look at retail malls, yep. shopping malls, right? You have offices, you have hospitals, you have industrial um, properties, um, you have data centers. Uh, so the list goes on, mm-hmm. right? And as an investor, it allows you to diversify um, across different sectors in your REITs. Mm-hmm. So you have a portfolio full of different properties. So versus, um, let's say, if you are going into buying a physical investment property, you are only investing in one physical asset. But a REIT allows you to invest across different properties, different buildings, Mm. and it gets you a flavor of the different sectors in Singapore. So, you know, it's more reliable this way. 
And on top of that, uh, REITs pay you a stable income, a stable yield. Mm-hmm. So typically, when you get started, you know, it's easy to get REITs which are yielding between 5% to 7%. Yep. Right, and the reason for this is REITs compared to other dividend um, stocks, other companies which pay dividends. The difference, the biggest difference, is that for REITs, they have to pay out ninety percent of their profits mm-hmm. as dividends to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. This is to incentivize or to achieve a much more favorable corporate income tax, yep. so they don't have to pay a very high amount of corporate tax okay. for REITs if they actually pay out most of the profits as dividends. Yeah, so, but I think that, that last point on, you know, the, well, requiring to, to pay out most of profits as dividends is, is kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because that also means that they, they don't have that much, you know, retained earnings, they don't have that much retained cash that they can go and use to expand. So in a sense, the, to me, the, the, the easiest parallel is, you know, you, you go and buy a, a condo unit or a shop house or, or whatever in Singapore and you rent it out, right, for cash flow. It's, it's the same concept, except that a REIT, you, you have a professional manager do it for you, so you don't have to mm-hmm. you know, find, find tenant, engage agent, water leakage, have to go and deal with it, or find contractor to deal with it. Um, and, and it's a, a much bigger scale because you are putting your money in together with a lot of other people and you, instead of just one property, you own a, an mm-hmm. office block or you, a multiple office blocks or multiple shopping malls or, or multiple like student housing, whatever, right? Depending on the sector that the read is in. So, so that's inbuilt diversification already, right? So if you're the shop house, exactly. there, there's construction in front of a shop house for six months, for three years to build an MRT line, well, your rental's going down. You know? mm-hmm. But if, if it's an office building um, or if it's multiple office buildings, even if there's the same construction, you, you have different things to block it off and, and diversify and lower your risk. So I think that's partially, you know, why if, if you are looking at even just investment property in Singapore for, for whatever reason, um, you know, REITs are a viable alternative to it. It's, it's the, the competition is not just equity, it's also physical property investment. Does that sound fair? Yep. yep. Absolutely, Anthony. Yeah, absolutely right. And the thing about REITs is a lot of people have this little misunderstanding or this myth that, you know, for REITs, I just want to buy the highest dividend yield mm-hmm. uh, achievable possible. But the thing is, um, for Singapore REITs, you also other than looking for high dividend yield, you also want to be looking at dividends which are growing. Mm. So sometimes it is great to actually look at Singapore REITs with a slightly lower dividend yield, but the dividends actually grow over time. And like what you said, comparing to, you know, physical investment properties where, you know, you look for tenants when you have cash flow, for REITs, they have this ability to actually increase the rent. And the higher the rent, the more the dividends is being paid out to the shareholders. Yep. So that's actually what you also want to be looking for, right? Not just looking at a high dividend yield, mm-hmm. dividend yield, but you also want to be able to grow that dividends over time. So that actually increase the dividend yield on your original cost of the money which you put in. Cool. Yeah, I think let, let, let's put a pin in that. We definitely need to talk a bit more about, you know, what we look for financially for, for REITs and whether it's valuation or their underlying business and, and how they charge rent, right? But, but maybe if we can, let, let's just go very big picture first, right? You know, we were talking sure. about there's different sectors and definitely different geographies because a REIT listed in Singapore doesn't have to only own properties in Singapore. They can own properties pretty much anywhere across the world. So what macro factors do, do we look at, right? Do we look at things like, oh, is there a, like in growth investing, is there a secular trend? You know, there, there's going to be an aging population. We want to own healthcare assets. Or you know, do we talk about interest rate environment, Fed's coming in, it's going to raise interest rates. Uh, my, my business isn't going to do as well for whatever reason. And, and therefore, you know, REITs won't do as well. And, and we, we try to avoid that. Like what sort of macro things should we look out for first you know, as, as we zoom in and before we even start analyzing individual reads and what we want to buy. It's a very good point, Anthony, you made, because what we have observed in the last few years, Singapore reads have been growing aggressively, very actively overseas because there's only so many properties which you can buy in Singapore, right? And all the good properties are already snapped up by our Singapore reads. So, no one is going to sell their properties to another REIT, yeah. knowing that these properties are all high-quality assets they, they own. So what all these Singapore REITs they are doing, they are combining themselves to become bigger Singapore REITs, and they are using this firepower to actually go overseas to buy more properties. So some of the things which you are looking at, which you might want to observe as an investor, number one, is your foreign currency risk. Mm-hmm. So when you're buying properties overseas, most of the time, the rent which you are collecting from overseas 
are denominated in a foreign currency. So other than the Singapore dollar. So you want to find out how this Singapore REITs manage their foreign currency exposure, you know, their foreign exchange risk, uh, like what many investors would do. So you want to measure how they actually protect themselves if the rent they receive um, is in a currency that might be depreciating against the Singapore dollar. That's one thing which you might want to look out for. Another thing which you want to look out for is, of course, um, the gearing, Mm -hmm. how much some of these REITs they can borrow. So there is a limit um, by the MAS that Singapore REITs should not borrow more than 50% of their total assets, right? So because of this, you don't want to actually overborrow because a lot of Singapore REITs, when they combine, they want to go overseas, um, they want to expand, there's a good chance that you know, they will tend to borrow that amount yep. to actually grow the REIT. So you, you, you want to pay attention to that because um, it is important because as interest rates get higher, um, you have to pay attention to the interest payment mm-hmm. which these Singapore REITs are servicing, yep. right? So the more they borrow, the more interest they pay. And the more interest they pay means lesser dividends, lesser profits for the shareholders. So that's, that's another thing which you want to take note of. Yeah, right? I, I think... And lastly... So, sorry, just, just to jump in here a bit. I think that there's two points to it, right? So Forex, uh, I completely get what you're saying. And the, the other point that if you are going to go deep into a read is, is really just to see if they are hedged. Right, so so companies or uh, REITs tend to enter into interest rate hedges so that you know they because they, they want to give you certainty of cash flow, so they want certainty of cash flow themselves, and, and they manage their cost that way. And for leverage, I don't know, right? I, I kind of disagree with you. I think it's a double-edged sword because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. yes, it, it limits their leverage, but that also limits the growth in, in a sense that they can do. Mm-hmm. So you know, instead of let's say they want to buy a two billion dollar property somewhere overseas, right? Instead of getting a, a 25-75 debt to equity ratio, so so they borrow 1.5 bill and you know they use cash for the rest. Now they can only borrow what, 800 mil, then they need to fund the rest somewhere, right? And because they keep paying out profits, they don't really have cash. So they will have to you know do rights issues, do private placements, issue new debt and perpetual securities and and dilute you as a shareholder that way. So so yes, um, you know the the leverage managers that is a bit of automatic risk management for the read, right? Because it prevents over leveraging. But you know similarly, if they if they are very expansionary, you are going to find yourself keeping having to pay into the reads again and again to to keep your shareholding there, right? Or either that or your asset being diluted and your your dividends actually get smaller even though they are acquiring, or your dividend percentage actually gets smaller. Even though they are acquiring, so you know, I, I think the the leverage thing is is interesting, but you know, there there are drawbacks to that model as well. Yeah, you are you are absolutely right, Anthony. And when I look at Singapore REITs as an investor myself, you know, it's always like Goldilocks and her porridge, right? <laughs> not too hot, not too cold. So Singapore REITs, on average, their gearing is roughly about 35 percent. Yeah. yeah, and for me, I like to look at REITs where their gearing ratio is roughly about forty percent mm. and slightly above, like what you said. When, if they can borrow more, um, they don't have to issue more shares uh, to the shareholders. So they can actually borrow more, take advantage of the current low borrowing cost, and invest into properties which have a much higher interest rate or much higher yield than the borrowing cost which they're paying on. So this is what I call like one of the, the safest leverage play mm-hmm. as for an investor. Yeah, de- definitely. And, and I think just, just one thing to know, you know, people always hear of leverage and go, oh, this is scary, I don't like it, this is risky. But you, you think about it, right? The the REIT is leveraged at, what, 35 40% debt. You know, so so that, that's a lot more equity. When, when you buy a house, you pay a 25% down payment. So it's 75% debt. <laughs> Any investment property you buy in Singapore, that's not pure cash. It's You are higher leveraged than a REIT. Right, so so I mean I, I don't know. Um, if if you think leverage is scary, don't buy investment property. Buy read that that's safer for you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you diversify, yeah, it's 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 really a great way. You know, you you have a much lower capital to start mm-hmm. with for reads rather than you actually do have to pay that huge twenty five percent down payment for one single property. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we've we talked a bit about Forex, we've talked a bit about debt and, and the you know, interest rate environment. You know, is there anything else do, do we you know that, that we look at for, for macro for REITs? Mm. So on the broader view, right, end of the day, we all want growth. Yep. So for a REIT to grow, there must be two things, right? One which I mentioned earlier, to grow organically by raising the mm-hmm. rent. The, the other one is to actually grow based on adding more properties into their portfolio, mm-hmm. into the REITs portfolio. So having a good sponsor 
it's important, right? Yeah. If a sponsor has properties all over the world, it's easy for the REIT to absorb or to buy these properties from their sponsor and grow inorganically. So okay. growing through acquisitions, okay. buying wait, wait, wait. Um, properties zoom from out a bit, sponsors. Zoom out a bit. What's a sponsor? <laughs> oh, okay. So a sponsor is sort of a parent to the REIT. Hmm? They might have a small stake in the REIT itself. Okay. And sponsors are typically property companies. Mm -hmm. They are property developers. And typically what happens um, is these property developers, after they develop an office building, for mm. example, they might actually sell this property, this office building, down to a REIT, okay. right? In order to save the corporate tax, because in a REIT, you actually save up on your corporate tax. You don't have to pay so mm -hmm. much as long as you distribute most of your profits as dividends. Yep. So that's a huge plus point. And it frees up the capital for these property developers or these sponsors, right? Once you sell the office building down to a REIT, you know, you get the cash and you can take this cash and redeploy it to develop other properties. Mm, right. So, so I think just to give an example, it's, it's something like Capo is a listed company, right? In Singapore, they, they have Capo REIT and I think last year, they, they sold the Capo the office building, their Vivo City into Capo REIT. Right, so so in that case, Capo, the, the parent company, is the sponsor. Capo Read is the read, you know, and, and is a sponsor injecting money into the read. Um, of course, as you say, Capo as the parent company gets an advantage because you know they they get cash for the building now, right? And the read gets an advantage because oh, you know, they, they have a tenant that they trust. It's their own parent company. They have another asset, you know, and then increases AUM. The the read manager is happy because increased AUM means increased fees. Maybe shareholders are not so happy. I don't know. Depends on the asset, right? But I think that that's pretty much the, the different players um in, in the read itself. Okay, so on to sponsors, right? We were talking about how important sponsors are. Right, so so there, mm -hmm. there's that ability of, of the sponsor, ultimate sponsor, to come in and inject assets, right, or, or to use their strength or reputation to, to help the read, right? Is is there more that we should mm -hmm. look at for sponsors? Um, I think one way is to identify sponsors where they have a strong financial position, mm -hmm. meaning that you want sponsors to typically have a good track record. Mm -hmm. That means they are established players in the market as property developers. You know, they have been developing properties uh, in their own niche for many, many years. Mm. That's one. You also want to look at sponsors uh, where they are profitable, they are generating cash flow, so that they are able to better support their own subsidiaries or their own REITs. Mm -hmm. So these are the two big things which you want to look um, for in a sponsor. Of course, the plus point or the bonus is that um, sponsors having a very, very strong name. Mm -hmm. Like we know that in Singapore, uh, some of our well-known sponsors are people like your Capital, mm -hmm. um, Capital Land, um, Maple Tree. So these are very strong sponsors. But as we explore more and more REITs, right, be it in Singapore, overseas, we will tend to come across sponsors which we might not know. So it pays to actually understand the financial health of these sponsors. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think oh, we, sorry, I, I like small reads. So, so it's something like, you know, elite commercial, which is uh, this office building, small office building uh, manager in, <laughs> in well, non-London, England. Um, it's, it's interesting to me, but you know, for that kind of cases, it's like, oh, who's a sponsor? Nobody knows, right? Or, or you, it, it's, it's just somebody that, that's completely, you know, ir irrelevant in, in the big market. So, so definitely, you know, the strength of the sponsor and the pipeline that they can provide is, is something to look out for. Okay, great. I think that, yeah. that kind of moves, kind of sums up the, the, the big macro things that we want to look at. So, so let's say we, we, we do that, we choose, oh, you know, we like office buildings, right? Because if, even though work from home is, is a thing, people still need to rent offices. They just refit it, that, that sort of thing. And, but the market has discounted it. How do we look at office building? Or what, what do we look at, right? In, when we evaluate a read itself, do we look at revenue? How they charge rent? I think we have, talked, we have mentioned that you know, and we want to dive a bit deeper into it. What are the key metrics, I guess, the financial metrics that we want to look out for? Yeah, I mean, Anthony, this is something which I share a lot in my online course called Endless Dividends. Mm -hmm. And I look at a few essential building blocks mm -hmm. for REITs. And if you just started out as a beginner, um, wanting to invest or getting your feet wet in REITs, um, these are a few things which you want to actually look out for, right? So just like I talk about your sponsors, your gearing ratio, and foreign currency risk. Uh, you also want to pay attention to the leases as well mm -hmm. of some of these REITs. So you want to typically look at Singapore REITs which have very long leases. Okay. And the reason why is, is it gives you visibility. You know, It gives you visibility to the rental income which you are getting. Mm -hmm. 
over um, in the future. Wait, wait, sorry. Right? When, when you're talking you, about lease, is it lease of the land? So whether it's like 99 years, freehold, 60 years, or is it the lease of the tenancy where the REIT is renting out to tenants? Or is it both? Very good question, Anthony. And this is something which um, we tend to mix up. So the lease which I'm talking about right now is the rental leases. Okay. So these rental leases are basically the lease which the tenant uh, has agreed to stay yep. you know, for a certain number of years. Mm -hmm. Right, so typically for shopping malls, right, the leases are between one to three years. The longest which you can go is you know 10, 15 years. And these are your hospital REITs, okay. um, your data centers, for example. And somewhere in the middle, you have office REITs, uh, you have office buildings, your industrial buildings, which have leases between about three to five mm -hmm. years. So you want to look for Singapore REITs, you want to pay attention to their lease duration, right? The longer the leases, the better, because this gives you visibility. And on top of that, you want to also look at um, these leases where they're able to actually revise um, the rent. They're able to adjust the rent. Okay. So they're able to actually grow the rent every year, yep. right? You want them to be able to grow this rent um, along together with the tenants. So that as an investor, when you invest in these REITs, you know that your distribution or your dividends can grow as well. Mm, okay. Right, so that's one thing to look out for. Um, leases. So, so I think okay. Let let us because I, I I read some reports, right? And and sometimes you go like, what was this acronym? That acronym, and then it gets a bit confusing. So when when they talk about leases, I think most people talk about or most companies like to present it in in the form of what will right weighted average lease expiry something like that. I assume, um, and and that just means to be like, oh yeah, because I'm I'm a building, you know, I have like hundred tenants. I, I cannot tell you one by one, you know, how how long the tenancy period is remaining, right? So so I I just mm -hmm. weight it according to the the amount of space that they take up, and then you know we 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 come up with one figure that that's easy for everybody to compare. That that sounds mm -hmm. about right, right? Uh, am I something mis? Or am mm -hmm. I fundamentally misunderstanding something about like weighted average lease? You're right. So the whale, W-A-L-E, weighted average lease to expiry, is basically the average of all the different leases um, in the Singapore REIT. Remember that Singapore REIT is a basket of different properties mm. in the fund or in the portfolio. So there will be leases which could expire the next year. Mm -hmm. There could be some leases which expire three years from now. There could be some leases which expire in 10 years. So you want to find out what is the average lease uh, which expires because this allows the leases to stagger themselves, yeah. right? Meaning that when you look at some of these Singapore REITs, you don't want to actually look at the, the REITs where they have a huge number of leases which expire in one year. Right. Then the lease manager will have to sweat themselves to find the tenants to replace. Yeah. Otherwise, there will be a huge drop in their rental income. Rather, you want the Singapore REITs to be able to stagger all these expiring leases every year so that it's easier, it's more manageable for the lease manager to renew the rent or if the tenants decide not to renew, they can have a chance to find other tenants to replace every year. So it's much easier for the REITs. Okay, so, so that's lease expiry done. I think just now you're talking about increase in, in rents or like annual revisions in rent, that sort of thing. Is there some sort of term that you know, REITs like to use just so that when we read the report, then we can go, oh, this is what they're talking about and, and because they might not spell it out, right? I guess. Sometimes it's a bit difficult mm -hmm to find some of the rental agreements because some of the REITs, they might not disclose yep. it. Number one, for confidentiality issues. Number two is also because of competition, mm. right? You don't want your competitors to know um, what are your rental agreements. Okay. But there are telltale signs to figure out, okay, the rents going up or going yep. down. So one way to actually look at it is the term called a rental reversion. Okay. So rental reversion comes in two forms. Number one, it's a positive rental reversion. It means that upon the tenant's renewal, the rent renewal, if it's a positive rental reversion, it means that the tenant has to pay higher rent mm -hmm. when they renew the leases. So that's a good thing for a REIT. Yep. If the rent is adjusted downwards, that means that the tenants renew the leases at a much lower rental rate. Okay. That is a negative rental reversion. Yep. So you can actually find out on average as a whole for Singapore REITs um, whether the rent are going up yep. or going down just by looking at these two terms. So either a positive rental reversion, which is a good, good sign, or a negative rental reversion, okay. which is a bad sign. So this is something which, um, as an investor, you can actually look out for. Okay, okay. So we, we kind of have like two, right, sorry, I'm just trying to tease out. So we kind of have like two key things to look out for, like will, you know, rental revisions, whether it's positive or negative. Is it that important to, to 
don't dive down into the financials and look at things like the actual revenue number, right? Um, or, or can we just look a bit at high, higher level at like, you know, rental reversions and, oh yeah, you know, free cash flow is up. Like, like what else in the financials, you know, do, do we want to look at? Mm. I think it's important to look at three basic things. Mm-hmm. Number one is your revenue growth mm-hmm. or your top line. Yep. That is basically the total amount of rent which is coming in because you want to actually find out whether year on year or year after year, the REIT is actually growing, right? Obviously, you'd want to buy into a REIT where the rental REIT keeps dropping, the revenue keeps dropping. So revenue is important. Um, number two, which you want to look out for is the distribution. Mm-hmm. So the distribution income is the one where you, you'll see how much of this rent you know, which they collect and they minus off all the operating expenses, how much is left for their shareholders. So mm-hmm. you want to actually find this out because you want to understand how efficient the Singapore REIT is doing. Yep. A REIT might actually grow its revenue or its rent, but if it's not very strong in managing its expenses, its cost, right? Maybe you need to hire a lot of people to manage the property. Mm-hmm. Then the distribution which you get as an investor will be much lower. Okay. So you want to also look at the distribution, the distribution income, which is actually growing. Okay. Right? Or at least Whether the amount available growing. for distribution, right? Whether they, they pay exactly. all or they pay 90%, I think. That that differs from year to year. But the, the actual amount that, that flows through to the end of the, the financials that they say it's available to distribute, I think that's the, the key figure we, we try to find a trend in. Yes, correct. And the last one is, of course, your distribution per unit, okay. which is called the DPU. So this is the most important figure. Mm-hmm. So if you forget whatever I said, you know, one minute ago, just know about this figure. It's called the DPU, distribution per unit. So you basically take the distribution, the total distribution income, and you divide by the total number of units in the read. Mm. So the units is also like shares, right? So the total number of shares. And the reason why you're doing this is because for Singapore REITs, sometimes they might issue shares, right? They might yep. issue more units. And the DPU is it's a good way to understand whether you know, over the years, each unit is more valuable as compared to the previous mm, years, right? Okay. So you want to see the distribution per unit growing because you might face with a Singapore REIT that might be growing the distribution, but the DPU keeps dropping. Yep. And the reason why is, is because the REIT might be issuing a lot of shares, right? Every few years, it issues a lot of shares to buy lesser profitable properties, mm. Right? Because when they buy lesser profitable properties, the distribution might not grow as fast, yet the increase in the number of units might grow even faster. Okay. Right? So the DPU starts to drop. So you want to see you know, these three key things, right? The revenue must grow, the distribution must grow, the distribution per unit must grow as well. Yeah, and, uh, so these I, are the I three think, big things which I'm yeah, looking and, for. And for the DPU as well, you know, it, it, it's going back to the same dilution point. If you increase, if you buy too many assets, right? And they just keep doing rights issues, they just keep doing private placements, you're, you're getting diluted. So I think what, what REIT managers like to sell themselves when they are doing acquisition is they tell you it's accretive, right? It's, it adds to my distribution per unit. I think that, that's essentially what they're saying if, if you ever read our press release, right? It's like, oh, we tell you it's accretive, it will add to it. So it's fine. Please approve my acquisition. Okay, cool. I think that's good. So, so to me, I always have this question that, that that's a bit of a conflict, mm. right? Um, in the sense that, you know, <laughs> yes, we want growth, we want all that, but so do the REIT managers um, and they want it more than us because the, the REIT managers get fees based on you know, the, the AUM, right? How big the REIT is. They, they get a percentage of it and they're sometimes paid in cash, paid in stock. And the, the sponsor, yes, you know, they, they want the REIT to, to do well because that's their reputation on the line. But at the end of the day, they own mm. only a small stake in, in the sponsor, right? Like if it's Capo selling an mm. office building to Capo REIT, because capital REIT is listed, you know, capital's interest is actually to increase the number at which they can sell the building as mm-hmm. much as they can get away with to well get the immediate cash out now. And well, if the rental drops you know, 10 years, five years down the line, that, that's not their problem, right? Because that's the REIT's problem now. So, you know, are, are there ways of like trying to find or mitigate these type of conflicts or is it just something that we kind of have to live with as you know, REIT investors? Sorry, I'm very cynical, right? I'm very cynical. <laughs> I mean, look, at the end of the day, I've always heard of this phrase, you know, there's always a selfish reason behind every motion. So everyone's doing something for their own selfish reasons. Singapore REITs are one, the sponsors are one, you know, companies are also one, of course, to make Mm. money. So as investors, we want to be critical in identifying whether, you know, even though they have done things for their own selfish reason, does it also benefit investors? 
And what do I mean by this is one good way, like what you said, is a lot of these companies, right? The sponsors, when they sell off their properties down to the REIT, you know, they collect their fees, right? They collect what you call a REIT manager's mm-hmm. fee, where in exchange for managing the properties, REIT holders, REIT investors actually pay a fee to the managers. And these are all included in the expenses in the REITs. So one good way to actually identify whether the REIT managers, the sponsors, the companies are doing things which are in line with the investor's interest, one way to actually see it is to see how much they are charging um, the fees. Mm -hmm. So typically, managers' fees are quite standard. It's roughly about 1.5% to 2%. And they will take a small performance fees. So if let's say they're able to grow the portfolio's value, Mm -hmm. the property's value, they will take a small percentage. Typically, it's about 5 to 10% of the property's value. Okay. And, you know, they will keep it for themselves. So, it's a lot like uh, running a fund and investment yeah, it, it management like, you know, business or fund management business. Right? Which everybody thinks yes. is a bit expensive. Correct. So, this is basically what they do, right? That's why Singapore REITs, they like to grow, mm-hmm. right? The bigger they grow, the more money they yep. collect. Of course, this doesn't mean that it's bad for investors. So, as investors, we want to see... Um, Singapore is what are they buying, right? Are the properties which they are buying, are they profitable, mm. right? Are they able to actually grow the dividends, the distribution for their investors? Okay. So, so I guess, you know, in a sense, it's a bit of a moot point because um, thinking about it a bit further, well, that, that's an expense of the REIT and it flows through, you know, at the end of the day into DPU and, and all that. So even if they increase their fees by a lot, as long as DPU also increases, fine, maybe they're taking a cut of it, but you know, it's, it's not that bad um, as compared to you know, a REIT which might be performing well, but their DPU isn't increasing because they are increasing their fees or because they are, they're getting compensated in a different way. Right? So, so, so may, maybe slightly overcomplicating it. Um, look, look at the three key things. If you want to look at, dive a bit deeper, you know, try to align interest, then, then you can look at management fees. Um, and, and I think even how they get paid, right? Because you, you want them, mm-hmm. like sometimes they do get paid in stock rather than cash, right? And, and because they're paid yep. in stock, you know, they, they want it to go up as well, same, same as you. So, so that, that's a bit like when we talk about growth companies, you know, is, issuing equity to, to like your, your CEO and, and your key management, right? Rather than just giving them cash because you want to tie mm. your long-term interest together. Cool. Um, I think exactly. that, that's about all for financials, right? Um, anything like smaller second order things you want to talk about or, or should we just move straight into valuation and how to decide when to buy? Yeah, I mean, we can just um, move on to valuation. I mean, if you would like to find out more, right, a lot of my articles, I talk about REITs. Mm-hmm. You know, I share about what are the things which I look out for. So you can always um, jump onto my website. You know, that it's, it's all free resources and I write articles on REITs and on dividend stocks. I share uh, little tips yep. and snippets on how I look at certain REITs. If you want to find out more, you can always hop onto um, my website. Yeah. Yes, and we'll include it in the notes so, so people can click on it. Okay, cool. Um, valuation, right? I mean, to me, this, this seems like the, the very simple thing. Um, you, you know your rents coming in. You, you know that they are kind of going to increase at, at a certain rate each year based on inflation. Uh, the, the, the typical, if you want to go back to uni and do finance, it's like, oh yeah, we build a discounted cash flow model, right? Or, or we build some sort <laughs> of like, you know, golden dividend growth model. But that's troublesome, right? And, and that relies on a lot of assumptions, which, which I don't like. Um, yeah. and, and because I have to study and have to spend time doing it. Um, are there shortcuts or, you know, are there like other type of maybe not absolute valuation, but, but you know, relative valuation metrics like price to earnings, price to book that, that you, you kind of tend to want to keep a look at to see whether it might seem overvalued or it might seem undervalued um, and, and therefore maybe a time to enter? Yeah, I mean, Anthony, this is the number one question which I get from my readers and from my subscribers and even my friends, right? When to buy and when to sell. When to buy yesterday, (laughs) when to sell tomorrow. (laughs) And I can tell you, right? Yeah, on one hand, you can follow the academics. Mm -hmm. You can follow what you have studied um, for the exams, right? Like what you have mentioned, Gordon Grove model, discounted cash flow, which is the DCF, to calculate the future cash flow of the rental which the properties would actually get, you know, in the entire life of the entire property. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you discount it back to a certain interest rate. Yep. 
So you can do that. Um, but what I found, which is much easier, um, which a lot of my friends, which I tell a lot of my friends, uh, readers and subscribers to do, is you can pay attention to two things, mm -hmm. right? Two very simple valuation methods. Number one is the price to book uh, ratio. Okay. And the second one is the dividend yield method. Okay. So the price to book is basically taking the share price of the read and you divide it by the book value mm. or the net worth of the entire Singapore read, mm. right? And what you want is to figure out whether this price to book ratio is actually trading below the historical average of the price to book mm. of the risk historical price to book ratio, right? So if it trades lower than the historical average, then of course you have actually found a perfect opportunity to buy the REIT because this means that you're actually buying the REIT shares at a discount. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if the price to book goes beyond um, or goes above the historical average of the price to book ratio, then it means that the shares of this REIT itself is expensive yep. or what people like to call overvalued. And in this case, you know, you can either trade or you can sell your REIT shares for a little profit mm -hmm. or you can continue to hold it on because REIT essentially uh, you want income, is right? a perfect way for income, exactly, right? So that's the price to book uh, ratio method. The second one, uh, which is okay, probably the sorry, same let, let, let's as the price, price to, book. to book first. So I think for, for okay. price to book, why it works for, for REITs or like you know, a lot of our traditional dividend shares as compared to your, your growth or, or maybe even your value is, you know, we, it's rooted in real estate, right? It's rooted in actual properties where you have valuation and valuation methods, um, which again, go back to discounted cash flow. So, so a valuer, when they try to value a property, they look at possible rents and they discount it back and say, this is the value of the, the property, right? So, so mm -hmm. your book value is essentially a shortcut cut to what the valuer thinks um, a DCF looks like, aggregated across the, the whole read, right? And that's why it, it works mm -hmm. so well for, for a read as compared to, let's say, looking at... Uh, I, I don't even know what to, to, to look at that, that, that you look <laughs> at price to book because you just ignore it um, for like a tech company. It's just completely irrelevant, right? Um, and, and I think that the, the whole thing about trends is, is actually really important and, and really interesting, right? Um, yeah. Because, you know, I think probably late 2020, you look at Capital DC read, it was historical high price to book um, because people are saying oh yeah data centers are the new thing it's, it's important and all that but is it really you know you you're mm -hmm. buying so much but you will get diluted if they acquire more their rents are on leases and they have a long lease expiry so you're not going to increase rents that much and and that kind of suggests that helps suggest that that whole idea of well, well maybe it's a bit overvalued compared to historical average i don't want to enter now you know notwithstanding that there's a nice trend going on about data centers and things like that yeah, and I mean, for valuation, it's, it's really a more accurate, um, a slightly more precise way to actually figure out whether these Singapore REITs are expensive or cheap. I mean, my son, I mean, he's four years old, right? And when he gets a fever, yeah. uh, if I don't use a thermometer and I can feel his head, it feels warm, I know he has a fever. But I need to know sometimes whether the fever is high enough for me to bring him to an emergency ward, mm. right, to an A&E hospital. And a thermometer actually helps because it allows me to find out, okay, whether his fever, is it at 37.5 degrees Celsius, which is a very slight fever, or, you know, it's a very, very high fever, which can go up to 38 or 39 degrees Celsius. Okay. And a thermometer allows me to actually uh, figure out this and gives me that decision to say, okay, I need to bring my son to the hospital mm. because he has a very, very high fever. So same goes for Singapore REITs, right? You can do away with um, the price to book ratio, but having that in your toolkit to identify which reads are cheap or expensive gives you a more precise measurement, okay. right? A more accurate way of calculating um, when to buy or when to yep. sell these Singapore reads. Or even if not, just not when to sell because you'll never sell with anyone income. It's, it's, it's when to accumulate <laughs> more, right? So, so it's a bit of yeah, market exactly. timing. Um, and and of course, you can compare that to DCA and all that. But it's, it's a sense check, essentially. You don't have to live by it. Um, we, we are not really traders. Or I'm not really a trader, so, so I don't really live by it. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nice sense check to go, oh yeah, I'm not buying something at, at its you know, highest ever relative valuation to its book value. And that sometimes can be a bit scary. Okay, what, what's the other ratio yeah. we're talking about? Dividend yield, right? Yes, so the second easy method to actually look at is called the dividend mm -hmm. yield method. So you basically, the same thing as the price to book ratio, you try to identify what is the, the historical average which the Singapore REIT is trading in terms of its dividend yield. Mm. So you want to actually figure out, right, over the lifetime of the entire REIT, since it IPO, what is the average dividend yield it is trading? And then you, you calculate the dividend yield today and you compare it with the historical average, whether if it's higher 
than the historical average or lower than the historical okay. average. And like the price to book ratio, if the dividend yield today is lower than the historical average, it means that the read is expensive, yep. right? But if the current dividend yield, right, it's trading above the average historical dividend mm -hmm. yield of the read, ah, there's something interesting to see. Then you know that, hey, I'm actually looking at a read which is trading what I call a discount, mm. at a discount. Right, so this is another way to identify when you can actually buy, when you can actually sell your Singapore REITs. Of course, looking at these two methods, again, we want to pay attention to the quality of the Singapore REITs and the assets yep. which they own. Right, you don't just want to look at the the dividend yield and the price to book solely. Yes. You have to look at the quality of the assets which you are buying. Yeah, I, I think that, but that's the the nice part of it, right? So, so you know, the, the three key things we talked about about like will about all that, they're also very focused around the what what could lead to the book value, what could lead to the actual value of the underlying assets, right? But because the mm -hmm. you know markets can sometimes be a bit inefficient, you go up, you go down, then the these you know valuation metrics that that we talked about, the dividend yield, the the price to book, it's it's a reflection of how the market thinks of the price, which is the share price, as compared to mm -hmm. what the business is. Right, so it's a nice snapshot, I think, from time to time of of what the market thinks versus what we think the the actual you know yield, which is the the DPU or the actual you know distributions that will come through is, or, or what the actual valuation of the physical property is. So so nice nice shortcuts to have, I think, um, it just just as ah. like market sentiment, and of course now very high, <laughs> everything very high. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> you're absolutely right. Anthony, these two basic um, valuation tools are a shortcut to, you know, trying to find out, hey, where can I buy yes. and when can I sell all these Singapore REITs? I mean, that's always that ultimate question, which is at the back of every investor's mind. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, okay, la, you know, you, you can say good read means can buy, one die, fair enough, right? Because you, you want income to come in and, and all that. But I think, you know, having some sort of small tools to, to, to do, give you a sense check, you know, so so you don't get too underwater in in the first year and and discourage yourselves and be unable to execute your long term game plan. I think that that's important as well. Um, it's all about psychology mm -hmm. and and being able to you know have that practice of of keeping to buy right. It's it's not just you know, we buy once we we invest once and we are done for life. You need to build it into a habit. Okay. Um, I think that's all for now. Oh wait, I actually do have one um last question if if you don't mind. So mm. you know, sure. now nowadays people like talking about growth and and all that, and you know, in in a efficient market in a sense, right? So let's say that the company has has two hundred mil in in cash at the end of period. They they declare, and and, and that leads to their market cap, and and they declare a hundred mil in, in dividends, and they pay it out, right? In an efficient market, that hundred mil comes out of the company, so the market cap, you know, drops accordingly, and that's why you see on like mm -hmm. X dividend dates and all that. That ten, like if if you are paying a five percent dividend, uh, share price drops five percent, and people start panicking. Oh, why did you drop five percent today, right? Um, yeah. but then that doesn't seem to work, right? Because if they keep paying and they keep paying, um, over the, the like ten twenty years wouldn't they just exhaust and the share price immediately go to zero? Or is there just some sort of inefficiency in the market that, you know, yes, the share price drops, but it, it rises back again and, and well, because market sentiment recovers, that, that sort of thing. Mm. So this is for Singapore REITs, mm -hmm. right? You are talking about Singapore yep. REITs in... So Singapore REITs, um, what ultimately drives the share price is basically two things, right? The growth of the property value mm -hmm. And the growth of the rental income, which mm. is the distribution, and ultimately is the dividends. So if they keep paying out the dividends every year, what will actually cause the share price to go up is the property value of the REIT. Mm. So the Singapore REIT's property value should actually go up over time in order to see the share price going okay. up. So that's one. And you also want to see the dividends also growing. So as the dividends grow, um, the market will expect the value of this dividends to continue sustainably over the next you know, mm. 10, 15 years. And because of this expectation, the share price would also go up. Okay. So we are really looking at two things when we are looking at the share price itself. Yep. So in the short term, when companies, they pay out dividends for, let's say, the, the next quarter, it's true that the share price will actually drop because the money is actually coming out from the yep. REITs. But over the long term, what's going to happen is that the market will actually think or expect that this REIT will continue to grow the dividends over time if it, it's a good mm -hmm. REIT. And if it expects that this Singapore REIT will actually grow uh, its dividends over time, then the share price will continue to rebound and go okay. up. 
Okay, so so in in a sense, yes, there's cash leaving the company, but you know, as as time passes, there's going to be you know increased valuations of the property because well, property only goes up. You know, there there's going to be increase in rent and therefore more revenues. Um, you know, I mean, I think all all this make, makes a bit of sense. The, the the problem I tend to have with it is that these share prices are meant to be forward looking, right? So all of mm. these you know increases should kind of be be captured in an efficient market in that sense. So it, it needs to be, you know, something above and beyond what was already expected to to drive the share price up. I think that that's the one pushback I have on this because it it just like like that there seems to be something missing in in the whole link, and, and it could just be that the market is inefficient and, and you know therefore and nobody really cares about this, which, which I think is the answer. <laughs> um, but you know, I think they're just yeah. interested in to to see if if you have a different view. At the end of the day, how I see the market, you know, when I started investing 13 years ago, the book which really piqued my interest in investing is that the market, Mr. Market, in the short term, is a voting machine. So in the short term, people vote based on the popularity of the stock, hmm. right? Whether they like it or not, right? And it really depends on the mood of the market. But in the long term, things will start to smoothen out. The market will tend to realize that, hey, actually, it's the fundamentals which I should be paying attention yeah. to. And that's where they start to trade the shares according to the value of the REIT. So in the short term, you know, you might think that, hey, the market might not be efficient, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hey, how come this REIT is trading this way? It should be trading that way. But short term, you know, there's always that emotional roller coaster. Yep. Just like humans, right? We don't wake up every day feeling happy. On, <laughs> on some days, we just wake up feeling like, hey, we are just feeling very depressed or frustrated or just angry and we can't tell the reason why. Mm. And it happens a lot at home. Yep. Like sometimes my wife gets... <laughs> depressed or gets angry at me for no reason and I have no idea, right? But I know that over time, my wife is a very happy person, right? She's, you know, she's a very joyful person, right? And she keeps everyone happy. But on some days, you know, I just can't understand why she's angry. And this is the same for the market itself. (laughs) Okay, I won't say too much about that. Later your wife hear this, I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as long as... yes. As long as it's going out to the public, I think she will definitely hear it. Oh, jealous. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I think that, that that's a nice wrap, right? Um, on this, I think we, we've covered the basics of how we can, you know, evaluate a read. If any of our audience has any questions, you know, feel free to reach out to us. Feel free to reach out to Willie at his website. You know, we're more than happy to take questions. And of course, you can go and sign up for his course to, to learn about it. Um, so, so I hope people found it useful today. Um, thank, thanks for that, Willie. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks. I thoroughly enjoyed this. All right, no worries. Yeah, thank we'll you. have you on to, to look at that read sometime in future soon, hopefully. And that will be the next episode. Okay. All right, thanks, man. See you around. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hey, Coconuts. So I hope you learned something useful today. I definitely did. But of course, whether or not to invest is always a personal decision. We are not here to tell you to do this, to do that, but are always happy to geek out with you about different interesting perspectives, companies, and trends for the future. This series definitely has a lot more depth, so if you have any feedback, ideas, or companies you would like us to cover, do drop us a line through our socials or email us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. See you next time!